Awesome. Good morning, everyone. How are we? Didn't Rhiannon do a fantastic job, hey, this morning? Great job. Rhiannon, you're amazing. It's good to see Sam. I was at um, Epping Boys, wasn't I, Sam? Was it last year? Yeah, last year. So it's good to see you here, man, in church. Hey, um, Luke 16, verse 1. Can we just get straight to the word this morning? Is, is that okay? Uh, Luke 16, verse 1. I'm reading from the Message Bible, which I kind of think is like the cool version but it goes like this. Actually, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that the entrance of your word bringeth forth light. And I pray, Heavenly Father, this word would bring light, illumination. Lord, it would bring freedom and hope to every single person gathered here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Jesus said to his disciples, there was once a rich man who had a manager. He got reports that the manager had been taken advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. So he called him in and said, What's this I hear about you? You're fired, and I want a complete audit of all the books. The manager said to himself, What am I going to do? I've lost my job. As a manager, and I'm, too strong, I'm not strong enough for a laboring job, I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I've got a plan. Here's what I'll do. Then when I'm turned out into the street, people will take me into their houses. Then he went at it. One after another, he called the people who are in debt to his master. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He replied, a hundred jugs of oil. The manager said, here, sit down, take your bill right quickly, write 50. To the next, he said, and you, what do you owe? He answered, a hundred sacks of wheat. He said, take your bill, write 80. Now here's the surprise. The ma- master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way before what is right. Using every adversity, I love this, using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival. To concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, really live, and not complacently just getting by on good behavior. Goodness gracious, I've just preached. (laughs) If I do nothing else this morning, that should actually be enough. Jesus is using a crook to make a point. This was certainly very, very surprising to the people of his day. But you know what? It's also surprising to the people... Today, but you know, you know what I've learned is that Jesus loves to disrupt our thinking. We live in an incredibly disruptive world, and Jesus still is now disrupting our thinking. Basically, it's saying is this: when you come to faith, uh, don't kiss your brain goodbye. <laughs> He's praising him. What in in um? Listen, I was in Emerald, right, which is in the middle of um, Queensland, uh, center of Queensland, and this young boy. I hear, hear this story. This young boy, he wants to be a pilot. And um, at the time, his family was living on the Sunshine Coast. So he goes to the Coolum Airport and asks, are there any vacancies to become a pilot? And there were no vacancies available. So that's when he was 14. Two years later, the family moved to Emerald. 
And he kept this dream alive on the inside of him. So he said to his dad, Dad, can I just go to the airport here and see if there are any vacancies for me to be able to learn to how to fly? His dad said, go and knock yourself out. So he goes out, finds out there's a vacancy. But, you know, it costs a lot of money <laughs> to learn how to fly, right? So he's thinking, okay, you know what I'll do? I'm going to get a job. So he goes to McDonald's, gets a job, saves up a, a fair amount of cash. You know the first thing he buys when he gets some cash? <laughs> Is a bike. His dad goes nuts. His dad goes, what is wrong with you? For two years, you told me that you wanted to be a pilot. Now, as soon as you get a little cash, you go and buy a bike. He goes, no, 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 dad, you don't understand. Um, To be a pilot, it's going to cost me a lot of money. And working shifts just in the afternoon isn't going to be enough. So I thought I'd get a bike so I could work some shifts in the morning. (laughs) So I can be able to make this thing happen. Um, Now he's like flying planes. (laughs) Here's the deal. Using every bit of his creative ability to spur himself to survival. You know the number one question I get asked from students? I was getting asked this question so much by, by students, getting emailed it like 20 times a week. I got so sick of asking, answering the same question. I now answer the question usually in the seminar now, right? The question usually goes like this. Um, dear Glenn, dear Glenn, I really want to be an actress, but, but, but my dad, he wants me to do law. Glenn, I really want to be a muso, but my mum, she wants me to do medicine. Glenn, I really want to be like a fashion blogger, but my dad wants me to become an architect. You know what I said? You know what the answer to that question is? The answer to that question is this. Ready? I said, this. I said, listen, if you actually really, really believed you could be an actress, then your parents would probably believe it as well. <laughs> but because you don't really believe it, please don't expect your parents to. How do you prove to your parents you believe in your dream? Here's what you do. Ready? You practice, you train, you study, you rehearse. You enroll in drama school. You and they say they're not going to pay for it. You get a part-time job so you can pay for it. You go on audition after audition after audition. After a while, your parents will start to notice. Have you seen her? Have you seen her? She's been getting up at 5 a.m. every single morning going over that monologue. You and we told her we weren't going to pay for that drama school. You know what she went and did? She went and got a part-time job. She could pay for it. You know when we said to her we were going to drop her off at that audition? She caught two buses and a train to get out there. You know, the other day, I didn't know how he did it. He must have got the keys from the groundsman. He, 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 he was, it was 10 o'clock at night. It was freezing cold and it was raining. But he was still out there kicking that ball. You know what? I think he's starting to believe. I think she's starting to believe. Since they're starting to believe, why don't we get behind them and, 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 and help them? But you know what? If you don't believe in your dream, please don't expect anybody else to. <laughs> you have to show how dedicated and devoted. If you're not dedicated and devoted, then for goodness sake, get another dream. You don't really want it. Talk is cheap. I'm so tired of all these people in church talking about all the things they're going to do. If you want something, you make it happen. Use everything that you have to stimulate you to creative survival. Listen, the crook, you know, and he didn't allow his lack of resources to stop him. You might say, well, you know, I've lost my job. I've been hassled at school. I didn't make the team. You know, my income has been slashed. I've lost money on my super. I'm not strong enough for a labouring job and I'm too proud to beg. You know what I've learned? I've learned this. Empty pockets never held anyone back. Only empty heads and empty hearts can actually do that. So don't you let your lack of resources currently stop you from doing what God has actually put in your heart. This message is entitled, I forgot to give you the title, let me give it to you now, right? It's this. Uh, The dream is free. The hustle is sold separately. (laughs) The dream is free. 
the hustle is sold separately. Um, don't let your lack of resources, lack of um, resources, education, time, strength, or wisdom stop you. Even wisdom. In James 1 verse 5, it says this, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all. So don't think you don't have the smarts or don't have the ability to do what God's called you to do. Because if you ask him, I'm constantly putting on the mind of Christ. Because I'm constantly facing situations and circumstances that are beyond me. Because the Bible says the just shall live by faith. We have in our society and a little thing that kind of annoys me. And it keeps people living in this safe kind of zone. And our culture promotes it. You know how we always ask each other, each other things like this? Oh, is everything okay? Is everything okay? You know, I don't think there's been a point in my life, I am 42 right now, I don't think there's a point in my life ever where everything's actually been okay. <laughs> and guess what? That's okay. Because <laughs> if you're stretching, if you're doing what God's called you to do, why should everything be all okay? The just shall live by faith. Sometimes you're just moving in a whole bunch of different directions. You just, that keeps my trust in God. Because he's the one who supplies all my needs. You know, Jeff Bezos, he's the head of Amazon.com. It's my, one of my favorite quotes at the moment. He talks about lack. He says this. He says, lack drives innovation, just like other constraints do. One of the only ways to get out of a tight box is to invent yourself out. <laughs> so stop complaining you don't lack resources. Your lack of resources will never get away of what God's called you to do, but your lack of resolve always will. So I'm going to give you six keys. We may get through two, but I'm going to give you, aim to give you six keys out of this text that I just read. Now, honestly, there's probably about a thousand keys in this text, but we've only got time for six. Is, is that cool? Um, and every time I read it, here's what your homework is. To go home and read this text again and try and get another key. Allow God to speak to you personally and teach you, okay, what, how can I adapt this text to my life? So number one, key number one is this, ready? Uh, be proactive, not reactive. Be proactive, not reactive. You know what being proactive is about? It's actually about taking responsibility for your life. You cannot keep blaming everybody, your parents, your grandparents, your genetics, or your circumstances for where you are right now. At some time, that blaming actually has to stop. And you have to take full responsibility for your life. I live by a little motto on this. Ready? If it's going to be, it's up to me. <laughs> if it's going to be, it's up to me. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Listen, if, if you're not doing well in, in some area of your life, if you're a student right now, if you're not doing well at school, if you're a business owner, your business is faltering, your marriage, there's some difficulties right now, Going on, listen to me carefully. Who in the world told you that you had to accept failure? If you're not doing well, do not throw your arms up in the air and say, I quit. Now, here's what you do. You organize a tutor. You, you talk to a business coach. You see a counselor. You do something that will turn this weakness into a strength. Be proactive, not uh, reactive. There is always a way through. Listen, the Red Sea may be in front of you. Pharaoh's armies at your back. The mountains, uh, uh, the hills at the east. But there is always a way through the difficulty that you're going through. Never back down. Listen, Helen Keller was blind and deaf from a really young age. Because she was blind and deaf from a really young age, she never learned to speak. So blind, deaf, and now dumb. 
she would stand um, in these rooms when she was about eight years of age, and she would sense conversation happening. She didn't really know what was happening. She'd go and grab people by their lips and feel their lips move, touch their throats and feel the vibration in their throat. And she sensed that she was missing out on something. She began to kick and scream on the floor. Her nanny saw this and thought, I need to teach this girl how to communicate. But how do you teach someone how to communicate who's blind, deaf, and dumb? Her nanny took one of the only senses she had left. Ready? Touch. And with her finger on the palm of her hand, would write out the letters of the alphabet. A, B, C. She put her hand under water and go, W, A, T-E-R. It was long, it was laborious, it was tough, it was tedious. But you know, Helen Keller went on to be one of her age's greatest um, writers, gr- gr- greatest um, authors. Why? Because she learned to turn a weakness into a strength. You know what she says? She says this. She says, all the world is full of suffering. But you know what? It's also full of overcoming. <laughs> People have not backed down from a challenge. People have not reacted, but actually acted. Listen, um, <laughs> Because constantly I hear people say, oh, well, it's not fair. You know, it's not fair. They, 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 listen, there, there's a deal that it's a little bit controversial. I get a little bit of trouble sometimes for saying it. But, you know, I speak in 500 schools around the world, um, have done so th- 200 to 300 a, a, a year. And this is what I find, right? So please, don't get, please wait till I finish before you get really mad at me, okay? Um, I, I have this deal with this word bullying, I don't really like the word <laughs> um, at all. And the reason why I don't like the word is because it instantly puts young people in a victim mentality and instantly makes them powerless. Listen, when my, my kids aren't allowed to use that word, I've banned it from my house. If, my, if there is a problem at school, my children are allowed to come and obviously talk to me about it. But you know what we do is then we sit down and we work out a creative solution of how we're going to work our way through this. Because when you say the word bully, it's always, I'm powerless, I can't do anything about it. Now, we need to help empower our young people and show them, okay, here's a way through. And if that doesn't work, let's try something else. If that doesn't work, we try something else. We always find a way through. Does does that make sense? So it's not that I don't believe that it doesn't actually happen, because I know it actually happens, but we need to empower our people to actually be uh, proactive and not always reactive. And I find, you know, even um, God, he never gives sympathy. He always gives strategy. (laughs) Gideon's in a wine press. I'm the least in my father's house. I I can't do this. And and it's almost like the angel of the Lord is like, have you finished yet? Arise, mighty man of valor. (laughs) And gives him a strategy. Elijah is in a cave. He's just killed all these prophets of Bible. He's in a cave and he's sobbing. He doesn't know what to do. And it's like, He's, the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, listen, get out of this cave, go on to the mountaintop where I can give you a vision of your future. <laughs> Strategy, <laughs> not sympathy. Because even in De- Deuteronomy, it actually says this. He, he gives us the power, the Lord, your God, is he who gives you the power to create wealth. It doesn't say he's given you wealth. It says he's given you the power to create it. That means you need to get involved in this process. Um, things may come to those who wait, but only, only the things left by those who hustle. <laughs> Number two is this, ready? Number two is this. Um, be ambitious. Be am- and, you know, that's not a word we like to use in church, is it? Be ambitious. Ambition is a powerful force. Look at the greats, LeBron James, Taylor Swift, Malaya. There, there was something in them that drove them to success. 
Watch some play. And you know what? A fire in your belly doesn't actually light itself. Something on the inside has to spark. I can't, I can't make you hungry. I'd love to make you hungry, but I actually can't make you hungry. Something on the inside of you has to spark. For me, the Word of God calls me to be ambitious about the things God wants me to have ambition for. And let me give you some scripture, right? The complacencies of fools will destroy them. And I see fools being destroyed all the time because of their complacency. They're blaming everybody else rather than actually acting. Matthew 5 verse 6, it says this, blessed are, the, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That means you can't be filled if you don't hunger and thirst. If you're not ambitious for the things of God. Philippians 3.10, I love this. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended it, but one thing I do. I love Paul, but the dude cannot count. Seriously, he's really bad at maths. Listen, one th- count the things, right? Count his one thing, ready? I forget one that lies behind. I reach two forward to the thing that lies ahead and I press three on the thing. But you know what I've learned is you can't actually, um, they have to all be done at once. Because <laughs> you, you can't reach unless you forget and you can't press unless you're actually reaching for something. Um, 1 Corinthians, one of my favorite verses. The first verse I actually came across when I was a young boy. Um, 1 Corinthians 9.24 says this, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? <laughs> so run to win! Good God Almighty. <laughs> run to win. Thanks be to God who always causes us to try. Do you know that God actually wants you to win? For some people, that's like a, like, wow, really? Because he's a good, good father, right? He actually wants you to win. Um, And uh, please don't misunderstand me. This may sound arrogant, but I'm not trying to be arrogant. Um, I actually believe this humbly. Ready? I actually never lose at anything. I either win or I learn. (laughs) We got to have that kind of mindset. We either win or we learn. And this is something I'll declare and teach my children. That's how much I believe it. Psalm 112 declares it. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. My kids will win. Get get this verse, Psalm 100, and write it on your vision board for 2016 that your kids will win, that your descendants will be mighty on the earth, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. My wife recently posted this on our Instagram page. Ready? She said this, quote of the week. This is from my nine-year-old daughter. Um, Mom, I've dreamt of making the state titles since I was four. Who says that? Glengarine's daughter. There's a picture of her on pool deck at the Sydney Olympic, um, uh, Sydney Aquatic Centre. God's ambition. You know what God's ambition is? That none should perish. That's a pretty big ambition. Would you agree? Yet I, I've heard some pastors, not in C3 movement, thankfully, but in some other places I've, I've gone to, who are, you know, I'd just be content to have a church of, you know, 500 people. But God's ambition is that none should perish. And then some of you are probably thinking in your head, you know how you get that voice in your head while the preacher's preaching? (laughs) And it's probably like this. But you know what, Glenn? Shouldn't I just be content? 
Because that's what the Bible says. Is be content. You know what I find Christianity is? It's like a tightrope. Be, be, between, um, and you got to, it's, it's a balance between mercy and justice, between love and war, between complacency and contentment. I think in the best place for any Christian to live is where they're totally grateful for God's blessings today and completely determined to move forward tomorrow. Number three, ready? Number three, what? I've gotten through two, that's good, right? We're all on our way to three. Number three is this hardiness. This guy, this crooked manager was hardy. You know the one, number one lesson? I've got three girls, three girls and a son, right? Four kids. The number one lesson I want my girls and my son to be is I want them to be tough. I don't want them to fall apart at, at, the, at the littlest of challenges. I caught my four-year-old saying to my seven-year-old the other day, I was walking past the bedroom and they were playing, and she said this, my four-year-old Willow said this to my seven-year-old Eden. She said this, toughen up, princess. <laughs> I don't want my kids to come to me with every problem. Sometimes they need to actually sort this stuff out for themselves. We, we need to teach our children to be problem solvers. In fact, you want to be successful today? What schools actually need to be t- teach young people is this. Two main things the young people need to get out of school. Learn how to solve a problem and learn how to be a leader. If you do, regardless of the mark you get at school, if you can learn those two things at school, you'll be an incredible uh, success. Don't fall apart at, at, at the simplest struggle. Listen, Julie Logan at the Case Business School found that entrepreneurs are three times more likely than the general public to have dyslexia. And many entrepreneurs credit their ADHD with giving them the edge in making their business success. Disadvantaged people make good. But you know what? It's actually not their differences that give them performance. It's not like there's a secret code that only dyslexics can read. No, it's because they've probably always had a tendency to be the outsider, which made them less likely to be picked, less likely to go to the top of their class, less likely to be chosen by some fancy college or recruited by one of the top firms. And precisely because they didn't fit in, they had no other choice but to pick themselves. And once that choice is made, it actually becomes a habit. This leads me to the next point. Number four, ready? Number four is action-orientated. Be action-orientated. Listen, if you want to do something great, don't wait for permission. Don't wait to be preordained or approved or to be picked out for a crowd. Listen, Oprah has left the building. She's not going to put you on her, on her show and make you a, a star overnight because her show doesn't exist anymore. YouTube wants you to have your own show, but they're not going to call you iTunes want you to have your own gig and write your own song, but they're not going to call you either. Amazon wants you to write your own book, but they're not going to call you. You know one thing I love about the movie, The Hunger Games? It's a, it tells the story of a young girl who volunteered to be a leader. She wasn't invited. She had to step up. You know most heroes today depicted in films were chosen. Think of, think of the films that you are well known. The Matrix, Lord of the Rings, Superman, Star Wars, Harry Potter. All these guys were chosen. But you, and this is the reason why so many people fail to see themselves as leaders. Choose yourself. Be action-orientated. Um, Biz Stone, he's um, one of the founders of Twitter. He's worth around $250 million. When he started school, when he was in high school, he thought that, you know, um, 
If I want to be good at school, if I want to get any sort of social credence, I need to be good at sport, because that's what he saw from movies, right? But the problem is he grew up in a single-parent home. He didn't have a dad to throw a ball with him, so he wasn't all that good at sport. Tried out for the football team, no good. Got smashed. Tried out for the baseball team, no good. Basketball, nothing. Couldn't play any sport. But he found out that his school didn't have a lacrosse team. So he thought, if, if no one else has played lacrosse, then it's kind of like a level playing field. <laughs> So he goes to his principal and says, listen, I want to start a lacrosse team. Is that okay? principal said, if you can find a coach and if you can find enough players, you can knock yourself out, do whatever you want. Found a coach, found enough players. They elected him ca- captain because no one else even knew how to play lacrosse, right? <laughs> yeah, and you know what he learned? He said, I learned a really valuable lesson. Opportunity is manufactured. The world has conditioned us to wait for opportunity, have the good sense to spot it, and hope to strike at the appropriate time. But if opportunity is just a set of circumstances, why are you waiting around for the stars to align? If you make the opportunity, you'll be the first person in position to take advantage of the opportunity. He was hardy. Listen, if, if there might be a door that is closed in your life right now, but you know what I've learned? Just because the door is closed doesn't mean that it's locked. Find an angle. Look for an opportunity. Don't give up. Learn to live. By um, Number five. Ready? Number five really quickly is this. Be relationship driven. Be relationship driven. Your provision, I find, is actually tied up in people. The manager was in trouble. And you know what he did? He turned to his relationships. The people he was in relationship with. Don't kind of, don't be that kind of person that thinks they're too cool for school. Love people. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. Love people and love God. Because the answer to your current crisis is probably not financial. It's probably relational. And you just need someone to introduce you to the right person. The qualities that improve a person's life are relational. But we don't like dealing with God in a relational way, do we? Most people want to reduce God to a formula. You do this, God, and I'll do this. It's neat, it's clean, and it keeps our religion in a nice little box. Formulas offer control. And maybe that's what a lot of people want from God. They actually don't want a relationship with Him. They actually just want control. I just want control in my own life. So give me this formula, this nice little neat kind of vision of God. Because, you know, as soon as you say the word God, you're actually saying less than God. Because you have this mindset that kind of puts God in a box. Listen, this gospel message of Jesus, this message to mankind, is not a bunch of hoops that we need to jump through in order to get saved. It's not a series of ideas that we all have to agree on or formulas we need to obey. This relationship with Jesus is an invitation. It's an invitation to know God. Um, And key number six is about the dream is locked up on the inside of you. It's on the inside. It's there. It's on the inside. It's it's there. Let me give you this. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within. That means all its power, all its resources are there. You have what you need to get you to where you want to go. Abraham. um, Sorry, um, Moses. Moses. The staff is in your hand. It's right there. Look, it's in your hand. The answer to your miracle, the answer to the vision I've given you to deliver this people is in your hand. You, you know what I find? You know, this Bible, it's, it's this collection of stories and poems and um, songs that some people think that is trying to push us back. But I actually think this book is incredibly progressive. 
It's always bringing people to a greater place of awakening. Abraham, go to the place I will show you. Keep walking, and when you get there, and every step Abraham took, he came to a greater place of awakening. Jacob, wow, how awesome is this place? It was always here, but I didn't know that it was here. It's always moving people forward. That's what this is about. So I'm going to ask you three questions, and I'm going to close. Is is, is that cool? Three really quick questions. Um, Listen very carefully. Um, if you don't have, uh, you, know, you know when I used to do an altar call, I used to do it like this. I used to say, if you don't have a relationship with God, <laughs> you know I learned something? That, that in today's society, the word relationship means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I mean, I have 5,000 friends on my Facebook page, on my personal profile, and I have 12,500 on my, like my public profile. I'm not in relationship with all those people. So when you say the word relationship in our modern day, most people don't know what that means. So let me ask you this question instead. Ready? Is God first in your life? If you answered no or maybe, in just a moment, I'm just going to pray for you. Is, is that cool? If you, answered, if you didn't answer yes, then I'm basically going to pray for you. Okay. Second question. Um, do you feel uh, connected to God? You were once connected, but somewhere along the way you got disconnected. You don't know where the disconnection happened but you got disconnected. You maybe started pursuing stuff that wasn't in light. And you know what you found yourself? It's almost like you're lost in the woods. You're surrounded by thickets and weeds and all this stuff. And you realize the path that you should be on is way over there. But you're out here and you feel so disconnected to your God-given purpose and destiny. I'm gonna pray for you in just a second, right? And the last thing, you know, I used to say, if you were to die today, would you make it to heaven? But then I realized that it's actually a lot easier to die for God. It's actually harder to live for Him every day. So are you living for God every day? If you, don't, if you answered no or maybe, I'm going to pray for you. Three questions. Um, is God first in your life? Do you feel connected to Him? And are you living for God every day? If you answered no or maybe to any of those three questions, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. So can everyone just bow their heads, close their eyes. Just because I want to give everyone some privacy here. Because this isn't between, this is just between you and God. You just need to get your life right. You need to take responsibility for own your for own life, right? So if you answered no, maybe to any of those three questions, on the count of three, I want you to slip up your hand. Not on the count of four, not on the count of two, but on the count of three. Ready? Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? across this room right now. Jesus, thank you, sir. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Just up the back there. Thank you, champ, up the back there. Anyone else? Jesus. just want to open this up. Let him come and speak to you here this morning. He's knocking on the doorway of your heart. He's a gentleman, right? You have to open the door for him. Anybody else very quickly before I close? Awesome. Awesome. Hey, guys, can everyone just stand for me very quickly? I just stand. Awesome. Hey guys, can um, you just um, everyone just lift their hands? I just want to pray, particularly for those five people that raise their hands. Um, so actually, let, let's everyone just say this prayer after me. Ready? Here we go. Um, dear Heavenly Father, open the door away of my heart and ask you to come in, take over my life. I give it to you. I pledge to serve you 
all the days of my life in your house. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for each and every person here in this place. I pray, Lord God, this word will continue to resonate in their hearts, Lord God, and continue, Lord God, to speak to them this week, next week, next month, Lord God, as it continues to bring life and liberty and hope on the inside of them. They can actually do what you've called them to do, Lord God, because they are empowered by your Spirit. I pray, Lord God, your presence will come, Lord God, right now and saturate their hearts. Refresh them and bring them in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Can we give-